We're going to just start off our morning with uh, something a little bit special, something unique to get us going. Uh, over the past few weeks, uh, the news that has been rippling throughout our country and especially throughout our province um, around the discovery of unmarked graves connected to uh, residential schools has impacted many of us who are part of Lakeview Church, and it's impacted us as a pastoral team, I can say for sure. These discoveries have been a sobering reminder of the tragic history of res residential schools and the history of injustice against Indigenous people in our nation. And when we learned of the news, the approximately 750 unmarked graves in Cowess's First Nation in our province, our leadership team felt compelled to reach out to our friends, to our Indigenous neighbors at Beardies and Okamasa's Cree Nation, whom we've been forming relations with over the past few years. So we asked Randy Clausen and Tara Anderson, who are members of our Lakeview Truth and Reconciliation team, to prepare a letter that we are going to send to our friends at Beardies on behalf of our church. And additionally, we have prepared copies of a short greeting uh, that we would invite uh, those of you who would like to sign as a way of sending a collective message from our church that says, we, as a church, want to send this greeting to you. And the message on those letters is, is simple, and it says, to our friends at Beardies and Okamasa's Cree Nation, Lakeview Church stands with you. Along with a Cree message of acknowledgement and encouragement that I was taught by one of the elders from Beardies this past week, and it says, and my pronunciation, I apologize, it says, Ayaman Maka Aka Mea Mio, which means it is difficult, but try hard. So this is a small, but it is a meaningful way for our church to show our indigenous friends that we stand in solidarity with them in their pursuit of truth and reconciliation. So I've asked Tara and Randy to come and read the letter that they have prepared and to offer a word of prayer to start our morning. But before they do that, we thought it would be appropriate to begin with our treaty acknowledgement. And if you would like, you can read along with me. Respectfully, we recognize that we worship here together on the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. We acknowledge that the land we are on is in Treaty 6 territory. Tara is going to read the letter now. To our relations at Beardies and Okamasa's Cree Nation, we are sending this message to you on behalf of our community at Lakeview Church. There are many of our members who have had the gift of being able to spend time at Beardies. In the spring of 2017, 2018, and 2019, young adults and leaders came for week-long trips with the main goal of learning what it means for us to become better neighbors, specifically to our Indigenous neighbors. During each of these trips, our teams were shown incredible hospitality by your community. We were generously invited to share meals and be a part of high school and elementary school activities. We were given the opportunity to observe and participate in ceremonies. We were taught about your vibrant culture, instructed in Cree language, and welcomed into relationships with members of your community. We have also been able to experience the strength of your community as we've joined in cultural events such as powwows in the summer. The time we've spent at Beardies has been deeply meaningful to us. These rich experiences we've been offered have profoundly shaped us at Lakeview Church. The ripples touching members who've been to Beardies, as well as those who haven't yet. 
We hold a sacred place of gratitude in our hearts for Beardies and for the ways that we've been shaped by your people in the past. Over the month of June, we as a community of Free Methodist Christians have once again been hearing the call to reconcile with our history. Our friends and relations at Beardies have been heavy on our hearts and minds. We admit that we do not know exactly how to respond to the pain of this month, but it is deeply important to us that your community knows we feel connected to you and that we mourn with you. We grieve the news from Cowessus First Nation with the identification of approximately 750 unmarked graves. We grieve with the families and communities affected by the losses. We grieve for the larger legacy of Indian residential schools and we acknowledge our complicity in the work of Indian residential schools, whether by action or passive inaction, past or present. We grieve for the ongoing harms and injustices against Indigenous people in this province and nation. We offer you, our friends, our prayers, and we also reaffirm our commitment to the work towards being respectful treaty partners, allies, and neighbours in this difficult moment and in the future as similar, similar tragic stories will unfold across the province and beyond. Our Executive Pastor Curtis Anderson reached out to Junior Yapis and Hal Cameron this week to better understand what meaningful support might look like. Junior taught us a few words of acknowledgement and encouragement, and Hal has provided the written version in Cree. Aiman Maka Akamemo. Members from our church have also signed their signatures to extend this acknowledgement and encouragement as a gesture of support to Beardies. We do not want this to only be about words. If you'd like to speak with us about specific actions or ways that we can stand with you, we are ready to listen and respond. Our leadership is committed to the hard work of responding to the TRC calls to action. COVID-19 has meant that we have been unable to be at Beardies since 2019, but we look forward to reconnecting when it is safe to do that. We will see you again, Lakeview Church. I'd invite you to stand as we uh, offer a prayer now. Let's pray. Creator God, you call us to grieve with those who are grieving. As a province and as a nation, we are seeing the effects of our national history and the history of Christian churches cause more grief and harm and trauma among our neighbors. We grieve for the losses of children. We grieve for the families who didn't see their children come back from school. And we grieve for the generations and the communities that have experienced these profound losses. We grieve because this is so complex and so hard. And so we turn to you, our Heavenly Father, our Creator, our Redeemer, we recall that you too 
were the one who suffered and died outside the city, outside the, the places of power. We recall the words that we heard last week talking about a call to share power. And that's a call that we hear in your kingdom. And that's a call that we are hearing as a nation. So Lord, we look to you. We pray for our neighbors who are experiencing grief. We pray for ourselves to know how to move forward. We pray particularly for our friends at Beardy's. Because once there are names and faces involved, this becomes so much more real, Lord. We look to you because you are the source of hope and healing for us, for our neighbors. And so we pray that you would use us in this time to pay attention to what you are doing in the midst of these, these very difficult, um, these griefs, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You can be seated, and we're going to continue worshiping together in prayer. Uh, just a little reminder that we're going to end each of our little quiet sections together with the words, Lord, hear our prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of meeting together. We thank you for the grace and comfort that community brings. We're so grateful to be together again. We know and have experienced that it is not good to be alone. And so we thank you for the gift of your church, for the gift of this family. As we quiet our hearts, would you settle us in your love? Would you open our ears to hear what you have to say to us? Would you open our hearts to your invitation of healing and hope? Together, Lord, hear our prayer. We confess our sins to you, God. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have gotten things mixed up. We have seen ourselves as victims when we were perpetrators. We have misread and mistreated one another. We have demanded what is not ours and forgotten that all we have is by grace. Please forgive us. We confess our sins and receive your forgiveness and grace.
together. Lord, hear our prayer. God, would you guide us ever deeper into dependence and trust in you? We ask for your provision. Would you give us and those we love what we need? Give guidance and hope and grace. Bring healing and peace where we need it. We ask for your strength and for your vision for the future. Would you give us clarity and help us to persevere through the next season as we transition not only as a church, but also as a city, a province, a country, and a whole globe. There are so many unknowns. Remind us that you are God and that you are faithful. Together, Lord, hear our prayer. God, we ask this morning that as a community, you would help us to live into the work to which you have called us, specifically the work of reconciliation. Increase a spirit of neighborliness among us. Help us to uphold one another, to tend to one another, and to befriend one another. Grant us enduring hearts that we may stand beside our Indigenous neighbours as they grieve. Teach us what it means to mourn with those who mourn and change us in the process. Together, Lord, hear our prayer. As we listen to Joe's words this morning, God, would you, by your spirit, work to detach us from the stories that distract us from the big story of your grace and hope. Open us up to the roomy work of your renewal, the work that includes all people and invites us into more openness, into newness and into spaces we might otherwise fear. Help us again this week to know that you are God and you are faithful. Amen. Well, good morning. A friendly wave to all of you, maybe like an angry wave to some of you, like, hi, Dave, I'll give you that. Uh, welcome. So glad you're here this morning. So proud of our church and thankful again, as many have said already, that we can hang out and be together this morning. Uh, just a couple of very quick announcements before we roll into the message. So Sabrina Tabler uh, has been on staff at Lakeview Church for roughly three years, beginning in our family ministries department as an administrator, and then sort of moving up to be our communications director here at Lakeview. And she has done a fantastic job the last couple of years, shoring things up and making sure that you get the information that you need uh, through all the channels that are available to us. Uh, Sabrina, though, has transitioned out of her role. She's off to explore some other work opportunities, but she's still in Saskatoon, still part of our church community. So when you see Sabrina, and I put her face up there so that when you saw her, you could see her, but she 
she actually is pretty. She doesn't look like a question mark, and I don't know what the heck is on there. Maybe for the second service, we'll fix that, yeah? If you see Sabrina, know Sabrina. Let's give her a pat on the back. Say thank, thank her for all the good work that she's done uh, for here at Lakeview Church. Yeah, we'll give it up anyways. Thank you, Sabrina, wherever you are. And last but not least, thanks again for being so faithful in your giving. We encourage you to continue giving, and Kurt and I will have a giving update for you, a budget update for you in the next week or so, give you a heads up as to where we're headed into the summer and what the fall looks like from there. So thanks again as you continue to give. This morning we continue our summer teaching series entitled How to Wonder, the story of Elijah and Elisha on attempting and accepting miracles. Now, last week, I set down some ground rules for this this set of stories, and I want to remind you of them this morning before we keep going. These stories of Elijah and Elisha are there in the scriptures to inspire awe and instill wonder. These are stories meant to open us up just a little bit wider to God's amazing power and to the truth that with God, all things are possible. And these stories, the ones that we're going to read this morning, belong to a set of stories that repeatedly answer the same two fundamental questions that you and I have this morning. And the questions are, is God Lord? Meaning, does God have this world? And is God faithful? Meaning, does God have me? So let's pick up where we left off last week. Remember, there's a great drought underway. We've just seen some pretty amazing miracles. And Elijah continues to make life very difficult for the evil king Ahab. So the story continues like this. A long time passed. Then God's word came to Elijah. The drought was now in its third year. The message, go and present yourself to Ahab. I'm about to make it rain on the country. So Elijah set out to present himself to Ahab. The drought in Samaria at the time was most severe. Ahab called for Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah feared God. He was very devout. Earlier, when Jezebel had tried to kill off all the prophets of God, Obadiah had hidden away a hundred of them in two caves, 50 in a cave, and then supplied them with food and water. So again, like last week's episode, this new chapter begins with this sort of below-the-radar miracle. And we're going to get to the big miracle in this story at the end of this chapter, but this opening part here is really interesting to me, and I think it connects and relates to you and I today. So let's do a little bit of background. Uh, Obadiah. This is not the same Obadiah in the Old Testament who's got that little teeny tiny book. This is a different Obadiah. But Obadiah in this story is one of the good guys. Obadiah, from what we can pick up, has always tried to do what was right. Obadiah is doing his best to remain loyal to God, but Obadiah's day job is working for the bad guys. So think about that little detail for a moment and the friction and anxiety that that would cause Obadiah, his family, and maybe even his friends. You're working for the bad guy because you have to, because working for the bad guy pays the bills. But at the same time, you're sort of this undercover agent for the good guys. So when we're presented with these few little details, what does that make us feel about or feel towards Obadiah? Does it make us wonder, are his loyalties conflicted? 
Like, how is it possible that the evil king trusts you, but you trust in God? Zobadiah, like a two-timing hypocrite here? Are you unsure about Obadiah when you read these details? Or maybe does your heart go out to him? Maybe you see the situation he's in, this tough jam. as He's straddling this hard, fine line here. Maybe our hearts go out to him and we say things like or feel things like, I get it, man. I get it. Sometimes the lines are soul blurry, even when you're trying to do the right thing. And even when you're trying to do the right thing, you're still implicated in the whole mess. And sometimes it becomes very difficult to untangle those two things. So I wonder if part of the miracle here in these opening lines is this, is that somehow, by God's grace alone, Obadiah is able to both manage the palace of the king and manage God's will at the same time. And so then maybe for you and I, a second possible miracle here is this, is how you and I engage with the Obadiah types in our lives. You know those people, right? Like Obadiah, they're just straddling this very, very fine line. And there are quite clearly some moments where the Obadiah types are trying to do what is right. And then there are other moments where these types are making huge mistakes along the way. So what do we do with that kind of a person? How do we handle, how do we approach, how do we engage someone who's in that situation? It's tough, right? As I thought about it this week, it reminded me actually of a story that hit the internet just last week, and maybe you heard of it. Subscribers to the uh, TV channel, HBO Max, received this odd, baffling email in their inboxes one morning. And it was mostly subscribers in the U.S. and some in the U.K. They were surprised that this email showed up. It, all it said was this. In the subject line, test integration email number one. And then in the body, this template is used by integration tests only. Okay, that seems kind of weird. But because so many people got this email, the story and momentum started to build a little bit. And some people began to wonder, oh, is this some weird, unorthodox way to advertise a brand new show that HBO was putting out? And the new HBO quickly clarified and said, no, 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 we apologize, we apologize. It was a mistake. And then they pinned that mistake on the intern, like you do. And they did it this way. We mistakenly sent out an empty test email to a portion of our HBO Max mailing list this evening. We apologize for the inconvenience. And as the jokes pile in, yes, it was the intern. No, really. And we're helping them through it. Now, as soon as this goes out, the internet does what the internet does best. Starting to respond to this. And all of a sudden, within hours, thousands of supportive people came out of the woodwork to share their own stories of failure when they were trying to do a good thing. And here are some of the responses. Dear intern, when I was 25, I made a PDF assigning each employee to the Muppet they reminded me of most. I meant to send it to my work friend, but I accidentally sent it to the entire company. 
My supervisor, Beaker, wanted to fire me, but the owners, Bert and Ernie, intervened. Okay, now let's get a little bit more personal. Dear intern, I was using my desktop calendar to make a monthly note when I started my menstrual period. But after several months, I realized I was making that note on a calendar I shared with all of my colleagues company-wide. I was 37 years old. Oh, oh I feel so bad for you, Cassie. But let's keep going. Dear intern, I once globally took down Spotify. It almost happened twice. My team was awesome about it, and I'm still here. You managed to find something broken in the way integration tests are done. It's a good thing, and we'll help improve things. Good luck. Don't you love this type of guy? Got you. You found the problem. We're going to spin this. You did right. We're going to get better. Love that guy. Thank you, Danny. All right. And then, last but not least, a personalized message from perhaps the most famous intern of all. You might recognize her name. Dear intern, it gets better. P.S. Don't wear a beret for a while, okay? Now, if you're here in the room today and perhaps you're too young to know who Monica Lewinsky is, forget about it. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. But maybe you should ask your mom and dad who she is in the car ride home and just see how that goes. I'll just leave that with all of you. <laughs> but we've all run into intern types, right? Or Obadiah types, right? Someone who's in a tight squeeze. Someone who is trying to do the right thing, trying to do their job, trying to be good, but making colossal mistakes along the way. And for you and I, whether it's at home or at work or with a particularly difficult person in our lives, I wonder if the next miracle that you and I can attempt is to manage our reactions and our responses to colossal failures and the people who cause them with compassion. And that doesn't mean that we ignore evil or we ignore justice. All it means is that we get it. I get it, dear intern. Sometimes things just don't work out. I get it, dear intern. The world is broken, but you know what? We've all been there. So maybe the miraculous response to the next person that causes you trouble would be to say something like, Dear intern, I understand. Dear intern, I can't tell you how many times I have dropped the ball. Or dear intern, it's okay. It's going to get better. Now hold on to that thought for a moment because this story isn't over yet. So let's go back to the text really quick. And next up is King Ahab and Obadiah set out in opposite directions to find some water, to find any sign of hope for their parched land. And then this happened. Obadiah went his way and suddenly there he was, Elijah. Obadiah fell on his knees, bowing in reverence and exclaimed, is it really you, my master Elijah? Yes, said Elijah, the real me. Now go and tell your boss, I've seen Elijah. And Obadiah said, but what have I done to deserve this? Ahab will kill me. As surely as your God lives, there isn't a country or kingdom where my master hasn't sent out search parties looking for you. 
And if they said, we can't find him, we've looked high and low, he would make that country or kingdom swear that you were not to be found. And now you're telling me, go and tell your master Elijah's found? The minute I leave you, the spirit of God will whisk you away to who's nowhere. Who knows where? Foreshadowing. All right, then when I report to Ahab, you'll have disappeared and Ahab will kill me. And I've served God devoutly since I was a boy. Hasn't anyone told you what I did when Jezebel was out to kill the prophets of God? How I risked my life by hiding a hundred of them, 50 to a cave and made sure they got food and water. And now you're telling me to draw attention to myself by announcing to my master, Elijah's been fine, found. Well, he'll kill me for sure. Sheesh, Obadiah. Now it feels like he's got two bosses, the king and Elijah. What could possibly go wrong? You can hear or feel the stress in his voice, right? As he says to Elijah, do you have any idea what I've already done? Do you have any idea what I've already risked? And now you want me to do more? Funny enough, as I spent some time this week researching this passage, like every single resource, every single commenter for this passage says that something to the effect of, well, when we see a story like this, obviously, you know, the writer is trying to push the, the narrative here that Obadiah's loyalty is in question. Perhaps Elijah is forcing him to stand up publicly for his faith. And as I kept reading in these commentaries, and because the books are mine, I just put X's through those paragraphs. Nope. And in the side margin, nope, don't agree. Uh-uh. I even wrote shut up in one in like red ink because I couldn't take it anymore. Because this poor guy, if you're following along with the story, has already done a lot. And if we can't see that, we're not paying attention. So what's the issue here? What's the big problem? Is it because he's afraid? Is that it? Is that the hitch? Is that the hiccup? Are we throwing everything out that Obadiah has done in the past because he has fear in this moment? Because that fear makes him seem weak? No, I don't like that. Let me offer you perhaps another take to consider. What if fear is actually a sign of faithfulness? I'm going to unpack that a little bit, and let me start with this study. Check this out. It's going to blow your mind. By the time you finish reading this sentence, your brain will have rapidly assessed your surroundings 14 times to see if you should focus on something else. At least, that's what new research suggests. This is a departure from the way we typically think our brains hold attention. Neuroscientists have suggested that neurons fire in a consistent stream when you're focusing on one thing, like reading this Gizmodo blog, for instance. The new research suggests it instead has a kind of rhythm where neurons become less active four times per second during those little blips. The researchers suggest your brain visually checks your surroundings for something more important to pay attention to, like maybe something exceptionally threatening, a clumsy coworker about to douse you in hot coffee, or interesting, a dog in the office. Your brain's checking in on the rest of the environment to see if it should focus on something else. Ian Feibelkorn, a study author and cognitive neuroscientist at Princeton University, told Gizmodo. Not that it unfocuses, but to see if something else beats out your current focus. 
It would make sense that the brain works this way from an evolutionary standpoint. To survive in this world, you've got to be constantly aware of potential dangers. It's like if you're going after this shiny red apple in a tree, you want to know if something bigger or sharp with sharper teeth is also going for that apple, uh, Fiblecorn said. Yeah, you're focused on the apple, but not so focused you don't see the danger coming. So four times every second, your brain is asking, am I okay? Is the temperature all right in this room? Is there something I need to do? Is there another sermon happening in this room that's better than the one we're currently listening to that we can pay attention to? Every four seconds, your brain is assessing your surroundings. So now take that little bit of, that little bit of study, that little bit of data, and let's tie it to this morning's scripture, and then let's tie it again to faith in Christ Jesus. Hear me out on this. Loyalty, bravery, Courage are not listed as fruit of the Spirit, those earmarks of a disciple of Jesus. But you know what is on that list? Faithfulness. So sometimes your sincere and earnest efforts to be faithful to God puts you in some sticky situations. Situations that your brain assesses multiple times per second. Situations that gets your guard up because your faithfulness to God has put you in a risky spot, perhaps even a dangerous spot or a tough spot. So then maybe with that understanding, maybe fear isn't a sign of weakness or a lack of loyalty. Maybe it's actually a sign of faithfulness. Why? Because you're stepping out, sticking your neck out. You are risking on behalf of following Jesus. And maybe the miracle here is, is that we keep going, even though our brains keep asking us, are you sure this is safe? Are you sure you want to do this? And so then, my friends, if you're here this morning and you're feeling like Obadiah these days, You're straddling a very fine line. You're answering to two bosses. You've already stuck your neck out countless times, and you're wondering why yet again it seems like God has led you in to yet another battle. If that's you today, and if you are afraid, can I encourage you with some words of encouragement that someone passed on to me just about a week ago? I was out for a walk with my friend and I was sharing with him some of my own challenges, some of my own worries, my own fears. And then he said this. He says, the longer you follow Jesus, the harder it gets. And at first I was like, what? And then I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because the more you and I lean into faith, The more I die to myself, the more I let go of control and trust that God has me and God has this world, the harder it seems to get. Why? Because the more that you submit to Jesus, the more you begin to uncover the things inside of you that are even harder to submit. 
And I'm going to leave that one right there. Let that just sit for a moment. And however, the good news is that the story doesn't end there for Obadiah, Elijah, or for you and I. So hold everything that we've talked about so far just for one more second as we launch into the last part of this chapter. And the last part of the chapter is where this famous, most popular miracle is found. But you know what? I'm not going to read it because it's really long. And there's a detail at the end of the whole scenario, one, like right at the end that I want us to focus on because it pulls this whole episode together, I think. So allow me to quickly summarize what happens in this really big miracle. Here's how it rolls out. Obadiah delivers Elijah's message to Ahab. Ahab collects all his prophets. The prophets of Baal, they show up to this showdown against Elijah. They put this bull on this altar. Nothing happens. The prophets of Baal do a whole bunch of crazy things to try to wake Baal up to do something, and nothing happens except for Elijah beginning to trash talk. I kid you not, your Bible is full of trash talk. In fact, Elijah goes into it so badly that if we were going to take the original text, it says something like, oh, where is your God? Is, uh, is your God answering a call of nature right now? Is he indisposed? That's the polite way to say it. When we were kids, we had this, like, this Bible that was for like, young people, and we like searched for this scripture because we thought it was funny because in the modern updated language, it said, where's your God? Is he on the toilet? That's basically it. That's what Elijah is saying as he trash talks the prophets of Baal. One thing leads to another. It's Elijah's turn. Fire comes from heaven. It consumes the altar, the sacrifice, and everything around it. Baal's prophets meet their end. God, the God of Israel is the undisputed champ of the world. And then finally, after three years, this happens. Things happen fast. The sky grew black and with wind-driven clouds, and then a huge cloudburst of rain with Ahab hightailing it in his chariot for Jezreel. And God strengthened Elijah mightily, pulling up his robe and tying it around his waist. Elijah ran in front of Ahab's chariot until they reached Jezreel. The end. <laughs> what? What now? Sorry. The end of this story ends with Elijah hiking up his skirt and then beating a chariot in a foot race? What? Is this for real? Did it actually happen? And if it did, what, is it, what does it actually mean? So again, this week I consulted all these grand biblical scholars. What do they have to say about this moment? What does it mean? Someone help me, tell me. And every book, one after the other, the authors were just shrugging their shoulders saying, hmm, well, I don't know what this quite means exactly. And uh, it's kind of weird that it follows such a grand miracle where fire comes from the sky. But when you put all these stories together, it sort of seems like a summer blockbuster superhero movie, doesn't it? It seems more like that than a Bible story, which actually might be the point. Because remember, Bible stories like this one are never just about explaining the unexplainable or getting into the supernatural details and figuring out how it all works. That's not the point of these stories. Instead, these details are in there partly as literary devices to grab our attention, but more than that, to open us up again, just a little bit wider to what God can actually do and make possible. So let's not get lost in the weeds of Scripture. Let's not miss the forest for the trees, because trying to explain how Elijah, again, 
hikes up his skirt, probably wearing sandals or nothing, is going to beat a chariot drawn by a horse or horses in a race? I mean, how would you even discuss that? You know, doing that would be like debating who's faster, Superman or the Flash? Well, let's take a little vote right now. How many of you think Superman would beat the Flash in a foot race? Hands raised, anybody? Ooh, oh, a few, there's a few there, right there. Uh, how about the Flash here? Who thinks the Flash would win the foot race? Okay, one more vote. Who doesn't give a rip? Anybody? Noted. Thank you very much. Let's put that in the record. Now, friends, the internet has spent a lot of time discussing this question, and I went into some pretty dark rabbit holes. I've done that homework for you, so I don't have to bring it up, and you don't have to go reading it. But the more I went down into this rabbit hole, I uncovered a more contemporary debate, and it's this. Who would win in a fight between Iron Man and Batman? That's actually the question of the day for kids. Did you know that? Let's take one more vote. Who doesn't care? And noted, carried. But we can apply the same type of reasoning, the same approach to Elijah's race with a chariot. Could we debate ourselves into an internet black hole about how that happened, why it happened, you know, what would have to happen in order for that to happen? Sure, we could do that. But does it matter? No. No, it doesn't matter one bit. Because the point of the miracle, the point of the story is to remind us, to reassure us, to encourage us yet again by answering those same baseline questions. Does God have this world? Yes. Does God have me? Yes. So then, the big battle with the prophets of Baal aren't about some display of strength. It wasn't a feat of strength. It's not God arm wrestling Baal. Why should God lower God's self to that pointless display? No, the fight, the challenge is much, much bigger than that. The actual fight wasn't this physical one with fire and bulls and waters and altar, but it's against this baseline idea, this ideology, this claim of Baal worship that says this that you had better take care of yourself because nobody else will. It's the baseline understanding that that religion was based on. And to be honest with you, isn't it something that we sometimes hold to as well? So then God's direct answer to this claim comes by way of sticky situations. It comes through moments of fear. It comes with incredible miracles. It comes through bizarre foot races. And all these details, when you put them together, it sort of does feel like a summer blockbuster movie, doesn't it? And so then God answers the claim, you'd better take care of yourself because nobody else will, by saying, that is not true. Instead, God says, I've got this world, and I've got you. And so, my friends, as we roll into this next week, my dear, dear interns, as you run into trouble or calamity, will you respond with compassion, recognizing that everybody is straddling some line? Everybody is fighting multiple bosses. Everybody's sort of trying to do what's right and making big mistakes along the way. Dear interns, in this next week, can we respond with compassion and say, I get it, man. I get it. 
And as you roll into this week with whatever it might bring, if it does bring trouble, if you find yourself afraid this week, will you remember that sometimes fear is actually a sign of faithfulness? Because the longer you follow Jesus, the harder it gets. And guess what? That's a good thing. And finally, as your head hits the pillow tonight and you wonder, who's faster, the Flash or Superman? Who's stronger, Iron Man or Batman? Did Elijah really win a foot race with a chariot? Does any of those details really matter? Not really. But what matters is this, is that you know that God has always been looking after you, and he will continue to do so this week. So with all of that, Will you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you one more time, I guess officially in this room, and we just say thanks. Thanks, 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 thanks for everything. So for my friends who are here this morning, who are straddling that fine line, for those who are trying to do good but messing things up so badly, for those who are caught between two bosses, two ideologies, two things. God, for those of us who feel like we're working for the bad guy to pay the bills, but we're trying really hard to also work for God at the same time, will you remind us of the story of Obadiah this week, that somehow it is possible by your grace to serve the palace of the king and also serve the will of God at the exact same time. So God, give us what we need when we're in those sticky, tight situations. God, for those of us here this morning who are afraid, who are unsure about what's next, for those of us who are just grasping tooth and nail to figure out what the future looks like or what should be done, God, would you calm us? Would you remind us that part of the way that you designed us to check our surroundings four times every second? God, help us. Help us to recognize that sometimes when we stick our neck out for you, it gets kind of scary. But then remind us that's exactly where you want us to be because that's where you do your best work in us and through us. And God, for those of us who get lost in the weeds of details, black holes on the internet or in conversation or in interactions with friends and family, God, remind us that sometimes there are some details that just don't matter. They just point us to the bigger, the bigger idea, the baseline idea. God, that you were good and that you are taking care of us, and that you are taking care of this world. So be with us as we head out into this new week for whatever comes. And God, open us up a little bit wider to your power and to your wonder. In your good and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.